Welcome to Health or Consequences. This is the Healthcare and Public Health podcast that my colleague John McDonough from the Harvard School of Public Health and I, Paul Haddis from the Lowne Institute, co-host on Commonwealth Magazine. You know, we're, we're in Massachusetts and this is a, a heavy duty healthcare state, including a big in the hospital sector. And if you talk about issues of you know, access, cost, or quality in hospitals, you can't talk about those things with talking about nurses and nursing, because they're such a, you know, the largest component in nursing. And we thought that this would be a great time, here we are in August of 2022, with all that we've been through, to really dive into issues affecting nursing, affecting nurses, and, you know, how that intersects with hospitals. So we're delighted today to have with us Katie Murphy, who's the president of the Massachusetts Nurses Association. Katie is also a longtime, many-year ICU nurse at Brigham and Women's Hospital. So welcome, Katie, to our podcast today. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, John. I'm uh, very happy to be here. Okay, so Katie, thank you for joining us and welcome to our little corner of the universe here yeah. where we talk about Massachusetts health policy. Let's just set the stage. We're two and a half years into COVID. We have monkeypox becoming a major dilemma across the state. Yeah. Um, and we have so many thousands of nurses working in hospitals, nursing homes, outpatient settings, other settings. What's the state of nursing? in Massachusetts right now? Are things deteriorating? Are things getting better? Are we stuck in neutral? How would you assess the state of nursing right now in Massachusetts? Thank you so much for having me and thank you for that you know, very, very thoughtful question. And you're right, we've been on the front lines and I don't ever wanna minimize the work done by the entire team in taking care of patients during this pandemic. The physicians, the respiratory therapists, our transport people, Boy, EMS bringing patients, you know, to hospitals. It's really been a team effort, which was very clear early on. You know, we don't even feel like COVID is in our rearview mirror. And, you know, it seems that it's interesting. I think nurses are really only starting to process some of this now, which is interesting two and a half years after the beginning of the pandemic. And you can imagine you know, I really feel like we were thrown in at the deep end. I mean, we had we had a little bit of warning and then before we knew it, hospitals were inundated with desperately sick patients. We were opening up COVID ICUs in whole buildings, in recovery rooms. People were working out of their specialty areas um, taking care of these patients. So it was I think very overwhelming, but I think we were going at 100 miles an hour, so there wasn't time to reflect on it while it was happening. But you know, as you recall, we saw so much death and terrible impacts on patients and families more than people had seen. You know, interestingly, it, you know, in my COVID ICU, I was actually working with a lot of nurses who were new to ICU because we had to keep running the rest of the hospital, right? And so they, were, they really were impacted on this. So there was taking care of very sick patients without their families. You know, when we take care of patients, we take care of their families. So not having the families there, the huge lack of PPE. And in some hospitals, you know, the administrators kept the PPE under lock and key. And so it was very hard for nurses to get PPE, to get resources, which was, I, I think added to the 
the moral distress people were undergoing. I mean, there, there were medications we couldn't get, but at, at some points we couldn't get syringes. We couldn't get needles. We couldn't get the wipes that we needed to remember at the beginning, we thought that maybe surfaces. So there was, you know, we needed those Sani wipes. It, it was people thrown in at the deep end, taking on the duties of many other members of the healthcare team. And actually, to tell you the truth, I supported that, you know, minimizing the number of people, healthcare providers who were in the rooms with the desperately ill COVID patients in order to protect our team. But that meant the nurses in the room were sometimes in there 10, 12, 16 hours in PPE, trying to keep people alive, trying to use the resources that we had. Yeah, where, so where, 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 where are we, are we now? now in terms of the state of nursing and the world of nursing and the situation? two and a half years later after that terrible, awful crisis at the start of it. So it, very interestingly, nurses seemed, seemed to have found a greater voice. They said, no, we're the experts. We know what we need. We know what our patients need. We know what hospitals need. Now you need to listen to us. So, so people are speaking up. And I think you see that just in the work that's being done around the state. Nurses who weren't organized with the Mass Nurses Association called us. And one hospital was Milford Regional Medical Center, who had to use trash bags, who were actually forbidden from taking off their PPE because there wasn't enough. So they couldn't eat or go to the restroom for 12 hours. They called us and they took a vote and joined the Mass Nurses Association. So I, and we're, we're getting calls every day. So I think that nurses are saying it was traumatic but we learned a lot and we're the experts and you need to listen to us. We know what our patients at the bedside need. And then unfortunately, a lot of nurses are leaving the bedside. Younger nurses who this was all they knew have left, they're going to grad school, they're going to far less demanding um, aspects of healthcare where they're not at the critical care bedside. More seasoned nurses are retiring early. So we are seeing nurses who are saying they cannot work under these conditions and are leaving the bedside. And we worry about this every single solitary day. Katie, I wonder if I can dive into that a little bit because if mm -hmm. you pick up the newspapers, the, ho the hospitals describe the situation as a nursing shortage and are saying that they both you know, need to hire more nurses overall, take them in from out of state. They're even pushing for a compact that would allow nurses licensed in other state practice here. What's your take on all of that? You know, it's, it, it is so interesting because there's not a nursing shortage. If you look at the number of licenses at the Board of Registration in Nursing, we have over 20,000, I think maybe even over 25,000 more nurses today in Massachusetts than we did in 2019. So there is no shortage. These are nurses who have graduated from, you know, our very excellent um, schools of nursing. They want jobs. So that is, I, I think we're almost seeing that a little bit less, even though when I was up in Beverly testifying on another closure, Senator Tarr mentioned the nursing shortage. It's not. We say it's a, a shortage of nurses willing to work under those conditions. Do we, do we need so, to bring in nurses from out of state, which is the hospitals are doing and saying that they need to do more of? Right. So what our concern about that. And um, there were legislators who were pushing this nurses uh, licensure compact 
which I think about 30 something states belong to around the country. And so they, nurses ha can have a license to work in any of those states. So here's the issue. Number one, I think that if we're interested in strengthening the Commonwealth, you hire your taxpayers, your neighbor's children, the people who are graduating from school who will be committed to the institution, whether it's the Brigham and Women's, UMass, Lemonster Hospital, they'll be committed to that institution and they will be committed to their community. They'll raise their children, run for school committee, be very active in a vibrant civic life. And, and we did bring in travelers at the beginning of the pandemic. The reason why nurses are walking away is because the conditions in hospitals are so dire. And if you just bring in you know, a cadre of nurses to come in and work a 12-week con contract, they're not committed, they work, but the underlying problems, the issues that are going on do not get repaired because the biggest concern, and you know that, is staffing, which is why nurses are leaving. I go all over the state and I talk to nurses and they say, it's awful, I have too many patients I can't provide the care that I know the patients need. And this isn't just in medical surgical units. It's in behavioral health, children's behavioral health, labor and delivery. These are places where, I mean, everywhere the stakes are high, but if you can bring in nurses from out of state to fill in those contracts for 12 weeks, you're not fixing the underlying problem. And unfortunately, patients will continue to fare poorly and hospitals will fare poorly. And I don't know how it would work under compact. Fortunately, that did not pass the legislature. And I think that's a win for Massachusetts and our patients. I mean, in many cases, they're asking for one more nurse on a shift, like St. Vincent, right? We watch them be on the streets for 10 months when Tenant, a Fortune 100 corporation, could easily have um, met all the requests but they didn't have enough nurses on the units. And so they would tell me that they had too many patients to care for. And if a patient had to go for a CAT scan, there wasn't transport to take them. So they would leave. And that means they left their four or five patients behind for another nurse to keep an eye on 10 patients. You know, in the hospital, nobody can take care of 10 patients. So I kind of went down a rabbit hole there. But if there were one more nurse on that unit, so we're not asking for the moon. We're just saying, make sure you have enough nurses on the unit so that we have an appropriate number of patients to give high quality care. We're not interested in giving mediocre. You know, and this just-in-time staffing by hospitals is a disaster. Okay. Hospitals are, are hiring these traveling nurses and they're paying them significantly more mm -hmm. than they pay. Why are they doing that if there are so many nurses who are potentially available for them at uh, lower cost? So I'm not sure that hospitals are advertising these positions. When I've been um, around the state, let's say it's a labor and delivery unit, like one in one community hospital, they said that, I think it was around the clock, they only had two nurses scheduled to, to work that shift. That doesn't sound like enough to me in labor and delivery. But there were no jobs posted so that if people who lived in the community wouldn't see that there were jobs available, right? Because again, this is this just-in-time staffing. Can you explain what, what you mean by that? Just in so just-in-time is like, we'll have 
and I'll just use this labor and delivery, but it could be med surge. So let's say your beds aren't filled and you decide you can run your shift with four nurses. It might be tight, but then five patients come into the emergency room. You know, in Massachusetts, we can't divert. Um, the patients are sick enough. They have to come into the hospital. Well, then where do you get the nurses to take care of these patients? So that they're saying, well, you know, we'll move this one and move that one and we'll hope somebody comes in early or they mandate. You know, we also have a law in Massachusetts that you cannot staff with mandatory overtime. Like when, after I've done my 12 hour shift, they can't say to me, oh, you have to stay another four hours. We don't have a nurse, but some hospitals are staffing like that. So they're paying overtime, but I think that when they look at it, they say, yeah, but on Tuesday, I only need four nurses. You know, I, th this is people's lives. So that's one part of it. And they're just not advertising these jobs or they're advertising them as part-time, 24 hours. Now, you know, this student debt these nurses are getting out of school with, or they want to start a family. They want to buy a house. All of these things, right, are on the front page of the Boston Globe every day, in Commonwealth Magazine every day, you know, every week. People don't want, they, people can't work 24 hours, but like at 24 hours, hospitals can pay far less benefits. You know, you got money from the government or you know, we, we know that they're parking money offshore. People, I think, want that money spent at the bedside. Advertise for those jobs, hire somebody. Yeah, it's expensive to re recruit, but a lot of times nurses will stay. Like when I go around the state, nurses have been at their community hospital forever. Mm -hmm. yeah. So they'll, they'll stay there. So, you, so it's a lot of money to recruit and orient a nurse and then you have to pay benefits you know it is expensive but like travelers pulling people in having people stay you know nurses are leaving jobs where if they work eight hours let's say seven to three and every single time they come in they don't know if they're leaving at three they might be leaving at 7 p.m they might be leaving at 11. i've heard of nurses being in hospitals for 17 hours you know you you both know that the quality of care really deteriorates at that point. Kate, I wonder if I could ask you a follow-up because yeah. you're talking about staffing issues and we know on the books in Massachusetts, there are staffing ratios that are applied to intensive care units. But in 2015, the you know, MNA went for a ballot initiative to try to have staffing ratios in hospitals for all nurses. It, it didn't pass. How are you and the MNA feeling these days about that whole issue about staffing and the ratios and what ought to be in the law or not? So we actually, Paul, we call, we call them limits just because we feel that's more accurate because ratios can be kind of fudged a little bit. If you have you know, a resource nurse or an assistant nurse manager, you might say, no, we have five nurses for that. So you know, we say limits because the research is so incredibly clear. Um, Joan Aiken in Pennsylvania, has been doing this research for over 20 years that for, on a medical surgical floor for every patient over four that you have, the mortality increases by 7%. And we know that. And so we feel that the evidence says we need to have limits on the number of uh, um, patients a nurse can care for. You know, I work in the ICU and it's been terrific in many, many ways because we have a lot of stand on and we can say, 
you know, we can't take another patient unless you get us another nurse because it's illegal. In many hospitals, um, they adhere to the spirit of the law. The letter and the spirit say the default is one-to-one. -one. If you come in and you're having a heart attack or you're in shock from a septic gallbladder, you'll be my only patient. And if I decide that you're stable enough, your blood pressure is okay, that I can give really high quality care to another patient, then I can take a second patient. I have to tell you though, a lot of managed around the commonwealths interprets it as you can always have two patients. You know, and we're, we're looking at um, re-educating both management and nurses that, nope, that's not the case. That decision is your in your hands. You know, I'm a charge nurse in the intensive care unit. And when the bedside nurse says to me, you know, this patient is starting to deteriorate. Um, I won't be able to take another patient. The bedside nurse knows the best. And plenty of times a nurse will say, you know what? This patient's doing a lot better. He has stabilized. I can take another patient, you know, overnight. So we really, really listen to the, the experts at the bedside. And we thought that that would be appropriate everywhere in pediatrics, in mental health, in emergency rooms. And the hospital association spent $40 million to defeat that bill. It was devastating. You know, you know, I know you come from HPC, Paul, but you know, we were actually polling well until the HPC um, reviewed the bill and said that it, and issued a report, I think in late September before the November uh, ballot saying it would cost the state of Massachusetts a billion dollars. They, they we were very worried of, of, about the cost of that, but there was some sympathy and interest I want to ask you about that staffing challenges enhanced now by the COVID challenges, that there's real burnout issues in nursing, you know, at the bedside. Maybe you could say a word or two about that if you would. I'm part of the crowd that says that it isn't that crazy about the word burnout because that kind of puts the onus on me and the bedside nurse when really, you know, one term that people are using more is exploitation. Okay. During COVID, we understood it was a pandemic and we knew that, you know, and actually the ICU law was suspended, you know, that's always written into bills and appropriately so. And we, you know, since I was at the Brigham, you know, we took patients from all over as hospitals became overwhelmed. We took them and we gladly took them. And I do remember one night, I think one, one night that I really thought that the wheels were coming off the bus when the administrator said to me, your next patient is 15 minutes out. And I really didn't have a nurse. And I remember thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do it? Of course we did it. The patient had to come in, you know, and, and you do it. Then as it was winding down a little bit, maybe it was the summer of 2020 at two o'clock in the morning and you know I'm a night nurse and that's when things get a little bit quieter. Remember I was talking to a big burly nurse. He had been a nurse and he was um, in from, one from the specialty areas and he said to me, and he was always like a great team member taking care of these patients. He said to me, you know, when I come to work, said, I can barely put one foot in front of the other walking up to the hospital. And I thought to myself, well, this is much worse than I thought. And it was certainly the stresses of the pandemic. And of course, you know, people being away from their families. I mean, that whole part of it 
but not having the resources. And I, I think that a certain amount of that continues because now nurses are still finding that they don't have the resources. They don't, you know, they, they gave their all, they gave their, as did the whole healthcare team. I can't deny it. And now they're being told, no, you can't take vacations. No, you have to, you're mandated. So it's really hospitals, I think, taking advantage of the fact that we're not going to abandon our patients. Can we step back just a little bit, Katie? So we've seen over the past 50 years, a big decline in the level of unionization among American workers and labor unions and stuff. What's the situation in terms of uh, organized labor and nurses? Um, Is it growing? Is it shrinking like the rest of the workforce or is it staying the same? What are you observing as the head of the uh, MNA? Well, certainly in Massachusetts, you know, we've um, two hospitals, as I said, Milford Regional Medical Center joined us and St. Luke's, you know, which I think had started their, um, you know, affiliation with the MNA prior to COVID. But it was, you know, then in so many hospitals, um, negotiations were suspended, mm-hmm. you know, and they had to put up with a decertification fight. So we have actually now over 25,000 nurses and healthcare professionals. You know, we also represent healthcare professionals. So we have a greater number than before the pandemic. We field calls from hospitals daily and from healthcare professionals, you know, in uh, hospitals. You know, it's interesting. I, I guess I don't know exactly what's happening in the rest of the country, even though I think if you look in, in other states that um, have a strong nurses union, you know, they're, they're like Minneapolis, I think, you know, a huge number of nurses are threatening to walk. So I think, and my experience in Massachusetts is that nurses are saying we need to have a stronger voice in our workplace. So yeah, I agree that, well, you know, it had been on the downtrend, but you know, we're watching it. Uh, Amazon, we're watching Starbucks, even Trader Joe's. I, I wonder if we're starting to see a trend up, but I feel like we're seeing more in Massachusetts and we've been seeing some, you know, good contract settlements. You know, you've described the situation with nurses and, you know, hospitals, if you listen to what they say, they talk about being under significant financial pressure and some of the smaller, more challenged ones are mm-hmm. trying to get monies out of the legislature just to bail, the, you know, bail out. But what's your take or the MA's take overall on the overall finances of the hospital industry? And, you know, is there's some that are big and wealthy, there's some that are not. What's, what's your guys' take on all of that? You know, you're, I think you said it all. You know, the big wealthy hospitals um, are, you know, getting, you know, higher reimbursement. They have big, fancy buildings, beautiful atriums. And then a lot of the safety net hospitals are really, really struggling. Most of them got federal funds but they don't have to tell us how they're being spent. And again, I think that people want that spent at the bedside, not in bonuses. I mean, I I think that hospitals do have to put money away for a rainy day. I mean, I think that just makes good sense, but not as much as they are. I, I think, you know, huge bonuses, you know, executive perks. We do not think that that has a place in healthcare right now. And in the uh, long-term care sector, nursing homes, Katie, how do you compare the situation for 
nurses and other health professionals in there versus in the acute hospital system? Really tough. I think it's always been very, very tough, right? Because they pay less. A lot of them are corporations. I think that their staffing is terrible. I think that um, healthcare professionals in some of these nursing homes do some of the best work I have ever seen taking care of all those patients, but very few of them are organized. And I think that that would go a long way in nurses who work in these facilities standing up and saying, you know, there's got to, I've got to have more than one nurse and two aides for 60 patients, you know, because they do bounce back to the hospital. We know they're not getting, you know, when you have 60 patients on ventilators, getting tube feeding, needing help getting out of bed, the numbers just don't work. We're going to have to leave it there because of time, but Katie Murphy of Brigham Women's Hospital and president of the Mass Nurses Association, thank you so much for joining us today. 